Forsooth, it is yonder podcast known as V'ger Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph of Rhodes. I'm just your co-host, Peter. <laughs> You're not going to go on the Greek drama? It's honestly been so me. long since we recorded one of these. I, I forgot about that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a few weeks, but we've both had to, to deal with a few uh, semi-regular interruptions for me, work, for you having children. Um, Spawning does take time, yes. Kind of comes up every so often for us. Yeah. I'm happy to see things went well and that the away away team over there has expanded by one more member. Yeah, man, we could five man uh, video games now once. Well, one one man, four women. I'm outnumbered. (laughs) Listen, I'm just glad you got that Mythic Dungeon crew ready to roll in maybe 12 or 13 years. You know, that's good. That's important. It is. and, And we'll be there for it. A little bit of pain to go around. My wife in labor, uh, some of our listeners in fates <laughs> worse. I, I would say that in the hierarchy of painful things, childbirth is pretty high up there, but I don't know if it beats having to watch Star Trek Picard. Shout out to uh, our mutual friend, Michael, who has uh, been talking quite a bit in the trauma support group about finally getting around to watching some episodes of Picard and taking us all through the memories with him. <laughs> Going through the throes. The painful part about Picard is that there's no gun to your head to watch it, but you do it anyways. A while ago, my sister was going through her cosmetology program and she needed experience doing back waxing. And I have a very hairy back. And I said, oh, OK, I'll, I'll let you do this. You are a good like, brother. As far as I'm concerned, that's top tier. Go on. Yeah, I'm like, should I like shave it? No, no, just leave it long. Do not leave your back hair long if you're going to go through waxing. It makes it way worse. And uh, she slathers it up and she pulls the piece of the first piece of adhesive off in it. It fucking sucks, man. It's like eight or nine on the 10 point pain scale. I'm like, holy shit, this is terrible. And it only got worse as it went on. And it didn't have to go on. I could have just said, stop, get off me. But (laughs) I can't just have a rectangular hairless patch on my otherwise hairy back. So I endured it not because medically I had to, but because the vanity in me required it. And that's what really makes it hurt is when, you know, I don't need to go through this pain. I'm doing this to myself needlessly. That's watching Picard. You are a poet, my friend. You are able to capture the essence of having to watch Picard and the pain that it brings on to you and your friends and your family and the very burden that you carry on your soul. I can never match it. Uh, However, I will say that upon recollection, it really is Raffi that crystallizes everything I hate about that show. Uh, But the least, uh, the less said, the better. I'm glad we did it just before we move on. Like, I don't like thinking about it or talking about it. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad it's in writing and I'm glad we, we've got the experience under our belt so we can shoo people towards that. If ever they unlock the hell cube, that is Picard. <laughs> Sometimes painful lessons are, are needed. They're necessary. And we had a painful lesson, mm. but you know, what was a relatively pleasant lesson this week's episode season six, episode 22 muse. Uh, Joe, I want to say this is another one of those strange Voyager episodes that on paper and conceptually should suck. And somehow watching it is pretty great. It is equal parts extremely well produced and interesting, as well as as another equal portion batshit insane. And in a couple different ways in, in what happens on screen and the meta that, that they sort of convey through the episode to an ending that uh, defies all description. So to me, this is best of both worlds. It's actually a great and interesting idea for a Star Trek episode and a lot of fun to talk about. I want to throw a hypothesis out there and I want you to mull it over as we start talking about this. Okay. Uh, I feel that this is a spiritual successor to was it doctor, tinker, poet, playwright, uh, or whatever. Uh, tinker, tailor, doctor, spy. Right. With the potato people. 
Yes. I feel that this is another episode where it's the writer's room talking directly to the fan base and maybe mocking them to a certain extent. There's a bit of that for sure. Uh, In fact, I would say that there is one scene in particular that is extremely uh, explicitly doing that when they're, they have the quote unquote Tuvok scene Um, that screams. The writers wanted to get this message out to the viewers and make a fucking point and put an exclamation point on it. There's also the sort of writer's idealism that's expressed through the very premise of the episode that the play at the heart of the episode can change the fate of this planet, which is exactly the kind of egotistical crap a bunch of Hollywood writers would actually think about their <laughs> writing. I mean, it's dead ass, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just the way they work. So, so this is Joe Manowski writing. This is Mike Viger directing. This is first aired uh, the 26th of April. Y2K. The opener of this belays its i think excellent production values it is clearly a ancient greek-esque play complete with a a uh you know a chorus of narrators in the background the greek chorus and they are for some reason doing a captain's log from from voyager it's very you know archaic setting that this is happening in complete with masks and robes and a sort of candle to things so immediately there's a something fucky has happened these people should probably not know these things that they're saying because it is a captain's log about a a delta a delta flyer mission for dilithium that has gone wrong and harry kim and balana are mentioned in in this and balana has crash landed somewhere in the flyer most likely nearby and these people have discovered the story uh we get introduced to an important figure in the story uh he is a fat roman emperor ish type yes Uh, he will also become known as uh the voyager audience (laughs) correct so he's he's just another fat Star Trek fan. He's 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 a fat Star Trek fan who occasionally throws money at these poor, starving, over talented writers. And he makes demands to dance for me, monkey. I want more of this. More Trek every week. <laughs> Prepared for syndication. Make it so. Uh, so they go through a real quick, like you said, a, a captain's log. We find out that she's uh, lost. The patron, uh, fat Star Trek fan, stands up clapping. He loves it. Uh, We have the main protagonist of this episode step forward. I have no idea what his name is. I call him Miss. Well, we're going to go with Mr. 90s hair. Mr. 90s hair. I was going to say 60% rapey. No. What? (laughs) I mean, it does have her tied down and it's trying to not let her leave to extract, uh, you know, stories out of her. Well, when you put it that way. So Mr. 90s hair is our uh, William Shakespeare of sorts and uh, uh, Emperor Trek fan says, yeah, I like this. I want more. You're going to do more of these. You got one week. Make it so. And then he uh, he pieces out. In, in fact, he does say prepare this weekly for syndication. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. Telling you. I forgot. It was that on the nose. Uh-huh. Get back out there and write another one. <laughs> So the acting troupe is kind of like, wow, can we do it? And uh, Mr. 90s hair says, hey, I got to go find my inspiration. And he treks off into the woods where not before he does the standard thing, which is his lady wants to jump his bones, but he wants to go work. And so he says, no, I don't have time. Listen, as a person who exists in the real world, I know, you know, we all know two things. One, that guy would not say no Two, it's not going to take that long. (laughs) All right. I don't care if you are an Adonis. You're talking not that fucking long. You've got the time. Hey, listen, these aliens of wherever, Greekonia, you know, maybe maybe mating's like a two week thing for them. You don't know. Maybe there's like a knot that swells up and it takes like. (sighs) Okay, you got me. (laughs) They've got Delta Quadrant shit on their head. So God only knows what's going on down below. Yeah, the, the shit on their face, it's vaguely Cardassian. I, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves slightly, but I do like the conceit that uh, 
Bolana just shows up in the story eventually, and you know, Kels is like, "Here's my friend from the east." It's just Bolana with a fucking cloak, barely even covering mm-hmm. her, like her not her even insignia. a headband. Yeah, not even not headband. bothering the, f- and no one even mentions it. Of like, oh, you're you got different weird shit on your head. Whatever. I mean, I guess speaking that'll... of aliens, sure. I want <laughs> to. I got to break out. I meant to bring this up in the before we started talking about the episode. Resident Alien, which is Robert Duncan McNeil's new thing he's doing for sci-fi, is fucking great. I've been watching that with my... It's so good. And for all the hand-wringing white guilt that Robert Duncan McNeil drips out whenever he's talking about it on uh, Delta Flyers, like, they've got some pretty bold jokes. And, you know, there's certainly... It has its woke moments or whatever, but uh, it is a great show that i have thoroughly enjoyed with my watch wife and i i highly recommend people check that out huh so it's a a sci-fi channel original show yeah but i mean they don't really skimp on the special effects and and you know uh alan what's his name alan tudyk is that how you say it yes fucking kills in it uh everybody else is a no name which is fine because they all you know do pretty well but uh that's good. And in that one, you know, they are genuinely concerned, like, hey, I look like a fucking alien. Maybe I better blend in. But yeah, Muse, not so much. She's wearing a cloak. She doesn't even pull the cloak up over her face to, like, have it mysteriously only show, like, the Batman portion of her mouth. She's just there, like, hey, what's up? I'm I'm just an alien. Everybody's <laughs> like, cool. Not, not a word is mentioned. Later on, in fact, dude's girlfriend goes to the Delta flyer to confront her and is not in any way, shape or form concerned with the fact that she is in an alien spaceship or that Bolana is an alien. She's like, he's her entire concern is stop trying to fuck my man. And then yeah. just storms out of the alien spaceship with the fucking word. Like you stop trying to fuck my dude and then leaves. These people are very straightforward as far as what they're perceiving. They're like, the, they're, they're the opposite of who watches the watchers aliens, right? <laughs> they're like, yeah, we don't care. Mr. 90s hair treks off to the aforementioned crash land, a Delta flyer. This is gosh. Remember back once upon a time when we used to count, shuttlecraft disasters <laughs> now how many times has the delta flyer been rebuilt from from its bones it's just like God. the third time now because i got stuck least. in the meteor once and then there was another crash there was a, this is tom I think, and uh naomi wildman's mom samantha samantha yeah that one mm-hmm. there's been a lot uh they actually do a pretty decent job dressing the setup like it's at a goofy angle you can see all the foliage outside the smashed in windows um He's got the inside all done up like this uh, gypsy tavern with like all these fucking <laughs> candles. It's very sensual. Uh, it, does, it, does, it, it seems like Bolan is about to go down for some me time. It's, it's yeah. kind of the vibe you're getting in here. Uh, computer replicate one bath bomb. <laughs> but as you mentioned, yes, Bolana is tied up. And not just that, but her purple turtleneck left sleeves pulled up. And you see that she is trying to go uh, across the road, not down the street. <laughs> and it, she's tied up, so it's hard to, like, they don't give you too much time to consider if it's, like, self-inflicted. To, then you find out that he's been doing it. And then she wakes up and she's like, why the fuck are you trying to stab me? And uh, he relates his Bronze Age medical understanding of, I must bleed you for your your blood is hot because of your fever. That's not working for her. And uh, she, I suppose in just about any other episode, (laughs) yeah, this would have been a pretty bad situation. But um, no, he's got a very strong vested interest. Uh, He starts introducing himself. He shows that he can access the ship's logs that's how he's been plagiarizing not plagiarizing but uh, finding inspiration his muse. adapted screen playing mm-hmm. yeah that's really what he's doing uh and he needs more because uh emperor fat trek fan wants more and that is his meal ticket and she's like let me go and he's like no and eventually she cons him into letting her uh to, to cutting her hands free to which she grabs her phaser and shows us that on Bolana Tora's away missions, <laughs> phasers are by default set to disintegrate. 
And I don't care that I now know that I'm being confronted by a Bronze Age dirt farmer <laughs> slash actor. I'm going to evaporate something with my space gun in front of him and tell him to fuck off. This is the beginning of what will be a very long line of I don't care about the prime directives because Janeway showed me how to do things let, by Blanitors. I think you're giving the episode far too much credit. The most ridiculous thing that happens here, the through line, is that the amount of times the prime directive is mentioned in this episode is fucking zero. Zero point zero. Zero times does Bolana or leader Harry Kim or anyone else mention Bolana? Why are you dramatically destroying the prime directive in front of these people? You're, they're literally making plays out of our logs. And spoiler alert, this episode concludes with a massive breach of the prime directive blatantly for no reason aside from but I want to. When I'm trying to think, and again, I got to knock the cobwebs off. It's been so long since we've talked about Voyager. When's the last time they had one of those, like, everybody's going to die and, and you know, we're all going to suffer terribly because God forbid we break the prime directive. God, it's been a second. Well, so if you go all the way back to season two, it was the Trabe and the, the Kazon, like, fight. The prime directive was being invoked a lot then. As a like, this is why we can't do the thing. I would say Equinox, that's a clear like prime directive breaking kind of situation. Uh, but that was also one where Voyager was always completely in the right. It wasn't really a conflict. It was these other Starfleet no, people. Are- uh, well, let's just go back to um, Voyager stuck up in the atmosphere and it's ripping the planet apart. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where the planet's running at a completely different speed. Yeah. I mean, that was a very clear, like we can interfere with these people. And if it means staying in orbit and getting ripped apart or us blowing the ship up, and that's something we need to entertain because yeah. we can't make direct contact. Blink of an eye. Yeah. Blink of an eye. I, I would say that's probably the, the closest one I can think of off the top of my rusty brain, but uh, there is no concern for that given at all. Even in the scene where we have a uh, nineties hair encounter Bellana for the first time, like, yeah, there's the phaser incident. There's uh, artificial light, which, you know, when the ship kind of comes back on, uh, he has her grab a dermal regenerator and she uses it in front of him and like heals all the knife wounds he's put on her. Like, I want the scene here to be like this guy to be like, hold on a second. This fucking little tube of toothpaste with a blinking light just completely healed all the wounds on her body. Like, I'm over here worried about how I'm going to make my next play. Maybe I need to just like, pivot and become a medicine man guy now and like (laughs) knife her in the face and neck area and then take this magic device and go heal all the wounds of my people the it it goes back to what we're talking about if these guys are just so unimpressed or just so tunnel visioned on their world that you know he sees that and goes okay well you are a god so this totally makes sense that's cool can i get more stories like he's, <laughs> he's he sees it he comments on it and when he comments on it, it is well just to be expected for you were an eternal he's literally like okay no this is fine this fits hey, in my, my worldview actively my mom has yield cancer can you can you fix her please no there it's- is there is no care. Stories. There is no care paid whatsoever by any character to this fantastic, the fantastic nature of what he's seeing. And that is the most comedic thing that happens is that this alien is just, yeah, okay, sure. You're a God. I, I need stories so that I can get trinkets out of my fat Star Trek fan. I don't think you understand how demanding this man is. He demands to be entertained every week or I starve. <laughs> I could probably take this magic device and go like heal all his soldiers. So as he wages a war of carnage across the landscape, which is what these uh, these Roman emperors are doing, right? The threat of war and suffering is always there. Like instead of me just healing his dudes up and getting my people fed, we're, we're, we're going to we're stick with the goddamn plan. It's worked in the past. It'll work in the future. Write stories, eat, continue. Um, so she she melts the tree. 90s hair dips out 
And uh, she thinks, all right, well, that worked well, except it doesn't really. The next day, she's trying to work on the Delta Flyer. 90s hair shows back up with a bag full of nuts. It, it should be. It's worth pointing out that the repairs to the Delta Flyer are not going well. She seems incapable due to its current state to be able to get a message to Voyager, which is her main focus. So she's buying time by getting this guy to continue to help her. Comes by, comes with food, wants some more story. Eventually, uh, it they're, they're bartering continues because of a need that she has for a piece of metal uh my favorite part of that is where the guy's like hey so what got voyager stuck here and she's just like oh the caretaker moops <laughs> just it's the only time she realizes she might have said too much you know she doesn't even like try to change oh it's the Schmertakers and boobix is from planet mulkin yeah, he just kind of runs right into it and doesn't really say much about the fact that he just she just ran right into it she raises her eyebrows and that's it she uh tells the guy first to come go go get dilithium crystals from like the fat star trek lord's like lands where he could be killed for for going so balana's really a total bitch to this guy the entire time like i need dilithium i could get murdered for getting it go get it if you want to not starve do have we ever really seen dilithium crystals handled by bare hands before? <laughs> it's like if it was uh would mutate you. I guess they've they've been in open air and manipulated by I don't you know, know. Hand Listen, man, Star Trek, there's always like fucking force fields in the most damnedest of places. I've never seen a peasant g- grab a piece of dilithium, put it in his lunch bag, and then run it into a crash shuttle like I'm I'm hoping that the lithium is non-toxic to touch. Otherwise, yes, real bitch move by Balan. And then tells him, go out and get this piece of metal with gold on it. And she's like, gold's expensive. I can't afford it. And she goes, you're going into debt. Go to a Greek loan shark and get get me my thing that I need. And then he brings it back and she's like, ah, oh, this shit won't work. And just throws it down. <laughs> like, really ruins this guy's life. Starts interfering with his relationship with his girlfriend. I want to jump back to Spirit Folk, that that god awful episode you somehow enjoyed. I very much did. Thank you. And the effort the crew puts to protect the holographic toys from the truth. Yes. None of which. None of what's shown to these guys as she derails their entire civilization as she well, does some advanced. Bolana didn't care about the hollow people either. So she doesn't care about these people. She, she, she was ready to gas everybody <laughs> to get was. her boyfriend back. Yeah. Bolana has, has shown a, a dramatic lack of, of caring about others. And the only reason she seems to like get involved with them at all is just curiosity. Like, he invites her to come down to see what they're working on, just because, like, nothing has worked so far for her, and she just wants to take a break from all of her space sciencing. So, goes down there, just looks like a Klingon, doesn't try and hide <laughs> it, doesn't hide a rank insignia, it's just on her neck the entire time, you know? The decorative brooch from the land across the sea. No one mentions anything, and it's really just an opportunity for her to see a bunch of awkward scenes of slash fic of her coworkers that this guy has come up with so they can have more pointed commentary about writing for Star Trek. Go back to time and again. The candy corn tragedy. Where an entire planet fucking dies in a nuclear holocaust because Janeway refuses to tell them, hey, this is what happens in the future. You guys are using dirty coal power. You can't do this. Janeway's ready to let that whole planet blow the fuck up. Balana's in here given Federation rundown for tin scraps. <laughs> given metallurgy advice, uh, using high technology in front of Bronze Age people, uh, eventually beams out in front of an audience for dramatic effect and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she goes, she goes down there with the with the poet. They have the scene about how you know, all the romance doesn't make a lot of sense and just doing things for the sake of doing things and not having a story idea behind it is is wrong, which is really the writer talking at the audience. 
there's some mild sex eye between the two of them, but Bolana doesn't really like try to make a move on the guy. Before that, I do enjoy Mr. 90s hair as he tries to direct his actors through portraying uh, their characters, Tuvok in particular, and yeah. the completely alien concept uh, for this this uh, culture to believe that there could be an entity so devoid of emotion and the concern. And again, I don't know if this is more like the writer's room and the production team talking to the audience uh, that portraying Vulcans is hard because either people aren't going to believe that this is feasible or they're going to think that you're a bad actor who can't convey what is supposed to happen. There are two levels to that scene that I thought were really interesting. One is the in-universe um, implication it makes, which is that, you know, Kellis, Mr. 90s hair, he knows these things because this is what Bolana has told him about Tuvok. This is Bolana's opinion of Tuvok, which is that he does, in fact, have all of these emotions and they lie beneath the surface and that he sees she sees him and and, and I would presume Vulcans in general is deeply tragic as a consequence of this sort of um, suppression of their emotions that they're forced to go through. That's, that's the, the in-universe implication, which is interesting, right? Like they, these two have had a lot of interactions. She has been going to him for basically therapy. I guess you would call it like calm the fuck down therapy. So there's good story reason for her to have this established perspective on Tuvok that's a little bit nuanced in depth, but not necessarily something we'd ever see her admit to because she's very guarded. The The meta note is, is, as you said, this is the writers talking to the audience about the idea of portraying a Vulcan, which is goes all the way back to Leonard Nimoy dealing with the balance between showing emotion and not showing emotion and what a, a, a touchstone that was to his performance and how that came up a lot in classic Trek. Very, very interesting. And it's something that I never thought would work as well as it did in the episode and wound up being one of my favorite moments. I also like uh, Mr. 90s hair's buy-in that he has seen, he understands it as a truth and that he is, embraces it and like the importance to him of staying loyal to the source material. Uh, and what I call in my notes the process of dragging normies into star Trek yeah, and people who don't want to be there, like the, the thrashing and the questioning and, and the condemning of the, the, the story as to how preposterous it, it is. Like if you don't want to buy into the stuff, it's, it's such a hard pill to swallow. And also it's rewarding for buying into like, if you do get it, then you get it. And it means a lot more to you. Lots of shades of um, Good. Galaxy Quest. Yeah, that that scene was actually one where you could the the episode would really turned on it, right? Like that scene working is why this ends up kind of like working as an episode. They get their point across in a way where you're like, okay, no, I get where you're going here. While she is reviewing the material he has up into this point, as you've noted, there's a lot of gratuitous romance, and you know, why do you have it so much in there? That's not the important part of that. The important part of that scene is that even this dude who's never met Chakotay or Janeway <laughs> very clearly knows that Janeway and Chakotay want to bump uglies. And that Tom Paris wants to get with both seventy seven of nine and the Delaney sisters. Both accurate. So sign yeah. me up. Tom Paris knows what's up. Yeah, Tom Tom Paris has uh, six, successfully identified several correct answers to the question. I also want to shame Voyager for mentioning Delaney sisters and not showing them to us. Yeah, it's just that one one taste we got, my friend. I know. Such a waste. Maybe. Fantast I, fantastic in their one scene. I will choose to believe that in another timeline, Delaney sisters were heavily featured and they just sucked. So oh, there you go. The one where the French lady played Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> After she leaves the stage and goes back to the Delta flyer. That's when she has the awkward confrontation with the girlfriend who doesn't care. She's a space alien and then leaves after <laughs> her dramatic monologue about how she's a home wrecker. And that's when Harry Kim suddenly shows back up. I really liked how excited Bolana was to see him. Yes. 
there there has been cutaways they, they do a good job with actually this part of the episode as well there have been small very brief cutaways back to voyager throughout the episode of them trying to figure out what happened there's almost no screen time or dialogue for seven of nine and chakotay and um uh neelix and the doctor they're barely in it um tuvok is barely above barely in it he's literally in it for a joke for a single setup payoff you know rimshot joke about him falling asleep on the captain's chair and it's really just janeway and tom paris reacting poorly to the news that uh that harry and, and balana are missing this is obviously devastating for tom that's his best friend and his and his girlfriend gone at the same time He's inconsolable. He wants which, to find him. Which one's his best friend? Dealer's choice, my friend. This is the 24th <laughs> century. I'm not going to judge Tom Tom Paris whatsoever for which one's which. I think we can very clearly say that Tom treats Harry much better than he treats Bellana. <laughs> that is true. And uh, he's beside himself. Uh, the captain is is polaxed at the idea of having, you know, potentially losing him. So there's this emotion that we just get a little pieces where they're on the trail of trying to find them, but not a whole lot. I think there's a lot to unpack in these Voyager shipboard scenes of the interior shots. There's a little bit of two. Everybody's taking the news poorly, right? Right. Tuvok is uh, burning the candle at both ends. And yes, as you mentioned, it's a joke we're building up to. But he says something like, uh, you know, Vulcans can go 14 days without sleep before there's a detriment because the one scene with Neelix, Neelix kind of confronts him as less, you know, hey, listen, you need to chill out and take a, a break. Neelix starts leading on that he knows a little bit more about uh, Vulcan physiology than most would know. Not that we would ever admit the fact that he was half Vulcan for like three months. Just we just you wait. I told you in the 25th anniversary of the Tuvix incident. Listen, I don't know how to tell you this. They do bring it up. It gets brought up. It hasn't one, been brought up yet. So until that happens, until it one, happens. One time in this show, they bring it up. I'm listen, I'm going to hold my breath. I can't wait for you to experience it. Me neither. I experience it in little increments all the time. I take my Tuvix acknowledgments where I can find them. And Neelix approaching uh, Tuvok, who should be his friend at this point, yet mostly isn't uh we we see the crew's taking it rough and i would say as absurd as it is that this guy that these people down on little rome are seeing these fantastic technologies flaunted in front of them and nobody gives two shits about it it's almost more jarring to see what's going on on voyager where everybody actually cares for once too often in this show we have people where uh the crew believes they're dead and they should be grieving. And it is so disingenuous and, and unconvincing. And this time where, you know, goddamn well, Bellana's alive down on the surface. I think that all the people up on Voyager really do a great job being bent out of shape and genuinely mourning the most likely death of their, their friends and crewmates. Yeah. It's a rarity that you actually see them, potentially entertaining the idea they're they're dead rather than rejecting it absurdly right they seem to accept the idea like no we're not going to find them and we're looking because we have to look but their their expectations are not success which is a different take it's a different take and again i i feel like there's believable hurt in play and that adds to the relief when Harry shows back up on screen and you see Bellana, who is overjoyed at seeing who's also her best friend, her first friend on Voyager, and just does a great job of being very excited that he is alive. And then we find out that off screen, apparently Ensign Harry Kim had himself a fucking episode, he had a whole fucking side quests he was doing that we can to see walking like 200 miles in the dark you know actually preserving the prime directive trying not to be seen you know hanging on to his equipment trying to get back to the delta flyer you know while while Blana's busy writing fucking poems and making sex eyes at the locals that's what is missing is there should have been conflict between 
him and uh, Balana, where he's like, what you're doing here is not cool and a real fucking problem and her doing something to defend her actions. Yeah. You don't get a lot of scenes where Harry Kim is in conflict with uh, other crewmates. And I think this would have been a really good one. There isn't an attempt by Harry Kim to really stop any of this or challenge it. Yeah, he doesn't want his ass beat. That's true. <laughs> he knows what's going to happen if he tries to. Like He's reviewed the holodeck logs for what happens in Cardassian murder bang cave, and he wants no part of it. He knows to steer clear. Janeway, they, uh, they end up finding a merchant trading vessel that is able to relay the distress logs from the Delta flyer. And that really kind of starts pounding nails in the coffin for the crew thinking everybody's dead. Uh, Janeway reveals that she doesn't know how long someone can actually live in an escape pod, which is very, very troubling for the number of times times she's ordered people like just get in the escape pods and we'll meet two solar systems over six weeks from now and regroup like thank god no one's really ever taken up around the offer to abandon ship other than what a year of hell yeah i think the only time it was quote unquote actually abandoned yeah well all those people died in escape pods because she just dumped them out in the middle of nowhere not knowing that people can't make it a fucking week in an escape pod the the show must go on fat star trek fan and there isn't an ending and, and the poet's been trying to figure it out. And Balana is attempting to find a way to get a stable communication with Voyager, but ultimately does succeed. That's where they finally have the payoff of the joke where Tuvok is napping in the chair because he's been working too hard trying to find them. And, Paris has to to do a a hey Tuvok wake up and then he like startles awake and says as you were you know like he just it's this weird comedic beat in the middle of the episode that I'm not quite sure why they put it in we didn't we didn't need the payoff to him staying up too much but whatever there's been worse things on this show and while Bolana is making all of her rescue stuff work we are seeing more of the play as it's being portrayed and the production by the way of the setup of the greek area is very cool it's not flashy it's not expensive but it sets the mood very well um you know it's kind of got that uh, amphitheater feel everyone's kind of got period appropriate clothing on the two jabronis who have swords in the back have the weirdest fucking helmets i've ever seen did you see those things like uh (laughs) Like Satan, what the was Satan's robot level? Yes, it looked like Satan's robot went to eyes wide shut. <laughs> you know, like uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the 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 way the '90s hair tries closing this thing out is he really starts latching on the idea of the Borg uh, becoming antagonists in the play. The idea of a uh, a species of warriors with a queen flying around in their hives. And we get like the skeletal system of, of most Star Trek episodes tossed out there, you know, under great adversity and, and deadly foes. The Starfleet way is to make peace, not war, um, that there is always hope. And that if you're willing to extend that olive branch, that victory can still be achieved because, uh, fat star trek fan emperor stat fat star trek fan uh he's got beef with all the other patrons emperors whatever you want to call them governors around him they're quick to war and we find out that it's the little people that always get injured in these wars uh and of course the idea of dermally regenerating all the hurt people doesn't cross this guy's mind but he believes that they might be able to avert war if he can make a powerful enough statement in his play that it chills the patron the fuck out. And instead of going to war, the guy, you know, is willing to let bygones be bygones and and whatever. He tells a cool little story that hundreds of years ago, the theater used to be a temple and that there were human sacrifices once a year. And then one year there was a play instead. And ever since that, there hasn't been another human sacrifice because they were able to change the will of the patrons through art. 
So maybe there's some way where we can put Janeway at odds with uh, the Queen of the Borg, which will be played by Seven of Nine, and we can bring this peaceful resolution to the patron and avert this bloodshed. As I said from the top, like it is a classic writer's think that they're more important than they actually are type of ego moment that this is the purpose of the the plot ultimately but okay it does fit with the trek utopian ideal of like this artistic endeavor could have this real impact on everyone's life and sure i'll buy it it's not that far outside what what you would accept for a normal trek episodes sort of moral moment um what i cannot ex- explain what i cannot endorse what I do not get is why Belana Torres feels so driven to show up at the finale to help him finish the story. There are, there's a lot of bits and pieces in here that are really good. The episode's not bad to watch, but this ending is just kind of like ridiculous. She decides I've inspired this man. Therefore I must help him finish his vision. Right. Which, by the way, is a dramatic breach of the Prime Directive all on its own. Never mind only one or two people have seen your future tech. That's bad enough. And then never mind stories about what you were circulating as fiction. That's clearly going to affect the civilization's development. You've already done enough bad stuff. You need to go. You need to get the fuck out of here. You can't fix any of that. The only thing you do is get the fuck out of there and hope like it fades into ancestral memory soon enough. But instead, she's going to go back. First time she went out of just curiosity to begin with. Now it's inexcusable. She's almost done getting out. She's going to sight to sight transport herself there without really explaining herself in any way, shape or form. So that she can a be exposed by the jealous lover, which she knew shit would happen because she came and told him. So we already are is is creating that danger for herself that she's going to be exposed as an alien in front of all these people. But then, just to put a fucking bow on it, I'm going to be beamed out by all of these people in front of them so that I can give this guy a good ending. They haven't had a real romantic connection. They've kind of had that hint, but they haven't developed it in a way that makes you think that that's a thing. Because why would they, right? They've invested so much in her being in the long-term relationship with Tom. They can't ruin that now. And there isn't, like, a science fiction reason to do it. It isn't that, like this thing that she does at the end helps the utopian ideal of this play stopping the fucking war. So why are you doing this? It's a crime. You're also committing a Starfleet felony. You know, like, why are you doing this? I mean, to be fair, she's still a terrorist at heart, right? (laughs) I mean, she just, she hates rules. You know, she's like, I'm just going to keep breaking the prime directors. Fuck them. I want, I want to go to every Bronze Age dirt farming civilization and give them Glocks. <laughs> just <laughs> start everybody out right. Um, yeah, it's uh... the the funny part to this episode is that she could have literally told this guy any story about any of her adventures because, like, the funny part is every Voyager is a self-contained episode with the beginning and middle and an end. Like she could be like, Oh, uh, all right. You need something. So this guy doesn't, uh, uh, you know, give you a hard time and, and your people can continue. Well, sure. Let me tell you about, uh, three Thursdays ago when we, uh, Oh, when we were being imposter and, and impersonated by some space grifters and, and Janeway had to crack the whip on them and how we came to like this peaceful resolution at the end. Like, I guess that's that's the funniest part is like he needs this inspiring way to like bridge a gap and and avert bloodshed and, you know, space friendship is magic. And that's like every episode of Voyager. She could have told him any fucking work story (laughs) and accomplished the goal of potentially inspiring the patron that did not involve her personally walking out on stage and transporting out by design. It's not even like it was an emergency and she had to dip like she's like, I'm going to go in there and show off the transporter. It is just such wild behavior as far as what you expect out of a Starfleet officer. And yes, as you noted, Bolana's a terrorist at heart. Mm-hmm. But there is just no reason given for this, and that's what makes it so ridiculous. And to have such a giant plot hole in your episode about the importance of dramatic writing is 
is just mwah, love it. But at the same time, very well shot acting, all the performances, no problem. All of the ancient Greek people do a good job of very good job, especially yeah. like the theater people acting that stuff off. Like whereas uh, Beowulf was very community theater, like actual community theater uh, felt. Uh, I don't know, pretty highbrow. I liked it. Yeah, they portrayed the role of being ancient actors good well but then again they're also actors so not exactly acting a lot asking a lot of actors to act like actors just in a period in a kind of in a time period um i i compared to so much of what we had to watch in season six this is just fine you know like i could take a billion of these it's kind of bizarre it there's some things that make absolutely no sense in it makes it interesting to talk about it's fun Mr. 90s hair, I think that's part of why this is an enjoyable episode, is this guy who is a central piece to the story does a great job. And, you know, there's just some of these stories that if if things were a little different, could have been a chore to watch. But you get someone with a little charisma in there and uh, and I'm down for it. Hold on. I'm going to look something up here. I have a hunch. I'm wondering. I forget if this was. It's close. Uh, Shakespeare in Love was a film that came out in 1999. Mm. That's Classic why this Voyager ripped from the ripped from the headlines. Silver screen. <laughs> Shakespeare. I, I was thinking to myself, like, what does this remind me of? And it reminds me of the, the movie Shakespeare in Love. And I'm like, wait a second. That came in the late 90s, didn't it? 1990 yeah. came out first in December 1998. So mm-hmm. about 14, 15 months before this episode. So you can see the writers saw this and like, we should do a Shakespeare in love episode. Let's go write that out. Bang that out. of When we, we start filming in the fall and here it is in the spring. Ah, oh. poetry, man. It's poetry. Well, we've had uh, two good episodes in a row now for season sucks. Let's see if say- we can go for three. I, we've we've done more than that. Live fast and prosper was great. Good shepherd was the the one before that, which I we lower did decks. Enjoy. Yeah, the lowest decks. Uh, the one after that was uh, child's play, which we liked. That was uh, hey, it's Crowley. Oh yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> the episode where they say we need to talk at least eight times. It's really the one before that, which is ashes to ashes, was a bit of a bump in the road. I like Dashes to Ashes. It came on the heels of Spirit Folk, so you are ready to accept anything. But yeah, so we've had a few in a row here that were very good. What are we what are we watching next week? We're going into season six, episode twenty-three, Fury. And I got uh Balana and I got seven and nine standing in engineering. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Those three letters were forbidden from saying. She who now shall not be named Kess returns to Voyager, aged, angry, and more powerful than ever. She tears through the ship and then travels back in time to try and alter her history. Spoilers! Netflix fucking spoilers. Come on. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Well, it's not revealing too much. It's literally all shit that happens in Act One. <laughs> like that happens before you get a third of the way through the episode. <laughs> I am excited for this. Uh, I am still looking forward to Delta Flyers trying to explain why uh, Garrett stayed and Jennifer Lean was dropped. I'm curious what it took to bring her back on. And uh, I am very, very fond of 90s Jennifer Lean and Kess, the portrayal of I'm very excited to see if she's able to come back this late in the game and still bring the magic. This episode is completely fucking wild to me that they decided to bring back Kess. And this is the story they wound up telling. I couldn't believe it. I'm excited to watch it again because I did not like it at the time, but maybe I will have a lot more appreciation for it given I'm, the way that I, we've consumed the show over the last few years. I don't want you to answer anything. I just want to throw my thoughts out. 
I wonder if this is designed to be like a smear piece, like if Kess is going to be redeemed by the end. I, they, they'd have to. I mean, you, you can't you can't just run a major a former major character into the dirt and make their like last appearance a shit baggy evil one like. What a Pandora's box. I I'm I'm excited for this one. I'm really. Man, what are they going to do? Hmm. Well, we'll find out together next week, sir. Well, if they make her a piece of shit and she's just a bad like the dilemma and the crew has to outsmart her and escape her and they just fly away with her, you know, in the sunset. That that's going to put me in a real bad mood. There is an arc here and I can't wait for you to see it. I'm 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 genuinely excited to get your take. Kess and time travel. <laughs> <laughs> It's like peanut butter and poop. That it, it's just is, two is the, things that don't belong together. Is the temporal uh, directive agency going to show up and like try and fight Super Saiyan Kess? What's that? What's that one guy's name? Time Cop, Captain oh, Caveman. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, Captain Caveman. He's Captain. Well, Caveman. he got he got locked up last time. Yeah, we he's saw. In, he got he's arrested. in time jail now. He got arrested for pre crimes. Hmm. Hmm. Well, what is not a pre-crime is listening to these. Please, a hate voyage to the Delta Quadrant. We appreciate that you guys hung in there for us while we were away. We hope we enjoyed the Lower Decks review that we first did with our patrons, but made available to everyone last week. We got our next one planned for our lovely patrons. Peter and I are going to review the PSG movie, the Bowser Galactica movie. Razor. We're really looking forward to it, actually. So we'll we'll. we'll be taking care of that sometime this spring and make that available to all of you if you would like to support us on patreon just to pay for all our subscription fees we appreciate it uh but if not that's cool listen along email us at vjplease at gmail.com find us on twitter or you can find us on facebook at vjplease or more importantly at our discussion group the vjplease trauma support group love to see you there as well and until then see ya